0: Welcome to Talking Supply Chain. In each episode, you'll hear from the authors that make Supply Chain Management Review such a special publication. This podcast is hosted by Bob Troublecock, Editorial Director of Supply Chain Management Review. Remember that Bob welcomes your comments now to today's episode. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Talking Supply Chain, the state of supply chain software. I'm Bob Troublecock, and joining me today is Prashant Bhatia, the Chief Marketing Officer for Blue Ridge, a provider of demand planning software. Prashant, welcome.
1: Bob, thanks for having me. Been looking forward to having our conversation.
0: Yeah, me as well. Uh, as, as you and I were just talking, uh, we're going to talk about more than just planning, but um, Blue Ridge is in the planning space. And I was just saying to Prashant that I've done a number of interviews in the last couple of weeks with um, VPs of planning at some you know global... Um, leading companies, all of whom their hair is on fire, trying to figure out how to revamp their, uh, you know, their demand planning and forecasting operations. As a rule, for those of you who have listened before, I don't have solution providers on Talking Supply Chain as guests, but sometimes I think folks in the trenches, like Prashant, working with customers bring a different perspective to an issue. After all, while you and I may know what's going on in our company, we typically have a limited lens. We know what's going on in our company. Solution providers, on the other hand, they work with and talk to lots of companies and in different verticals. So that's what led me to invite Prashant onto today's episode, along with the fact that, hey, I've known him for a long time and at several different stops. And while he's in the planning space now, he's got a pretty broad uh, experience in supply chain software. And that's what I kind of want to understand. Back in June, I was at Gartner's annual conference in Orlando for the first time since the pandemic. And to be honest, I was astounded by the number of software companies that I either wasn't familiar with or had only a passing understanding of what they do. And by the way, that was even after they explained to me what they did. And I've been around software a little bit myself, but it's a whole new world out there. So after taking a bunch of meetings, I was still struggling to grasp, you know, what's really new? How's the space is evolving? And that's when I reconnected with Prashant, who, again, I've known for about 20 years, going back to when I first started writing about WMS systems. At Blue Ridge, he's concentrated on demanding planning, but Prashant has had stints at Manhattan Associates, SAP, and JDA, now Blue Yonder, some pretty good companies. He's seen a lot more than me and uh, probably you. Prashant, again, welcome. Let's jump right into today's discussion. Since you're working for Blue Ridge, let's just start there. Tell us a little bit about Blue Ridge, the verticals and customers you're working with and the issue you're trying to
1: solve. Yeah, perfect, Bob. So thank you. So uh, Blue Ridge uh, is a supply chain planning and price optimization company. We're an enterprise software company serving uh, companies across retail, manufacturing, wholesale distribution. Uh, We've been around for about 15 years based uh, in Atlanta, which is where I'm based as well. And, you know, our ultimate goal is to help companies get a good handle or great handle on their forecasts, their demand plans, their inventory needs. And from a true planning perspective, especially given the hard times uh, that have gone through the pandemic over the last over the last 24 months um, and all the volatile changes and so forth. And we'll talk more about that. You know, our ultimate goal is to help companies better understand what inventory they need, how are they going to procure it, when to procure it how to optimize where to put it within the supply chain so that these companies can have the right product in the right place at the right time, but also for the right cost. So Blue Ridge um, really offers, like I said, supply chain planning, um, which traditionally is made up of demand planning, forecasting, replenishment, inventory optimization. But on top of that, through, again, complex supply chain networks, we offer multi-echelon inventory optimization, which is also set as MEIO. And then the other big thing that's happening within the marketplace this day is really around collaboration and alignment, both internally as well as with third parties. So the ability to talk about sales and operations planning, the ability to talk about integrated business planning, being able to use that collaborative platform to gain alignment, both internally and externally, that's really what we're focused on helping companies do uh, across all spectrums in terms of verticals as well as size of company.
0: Drill down real quick into the price optimization piece that you mentioned. What do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, so we uh, we added price optimization to our portfolio um, probably about 24 months ago uh, after being focused solely on supply chain. And really what that means is we help companies determine the optimal price of a given product to minimize having to do promotions, to minimize the loss margins. So especially in this day and age where companies are struggling to procure product and much less the right product, if you have too much of one product, maybe you want to decrease the price in order to increase demand. If you don't have enough of one product, then you want to maybe increase price in order to control that demand. So the ability to shape demand using price as a lever in terms of being able to control supply and demand as best as possible um, really just adds another facet in terms of what inventory you procure, when you do it, how you do it, and for how much do you then sell it for. So really the combination of the two.
0: I don't know that I've ever asked this as long as I've known you, but uh, just one quick personal question. How did you get into the supply chain software space?
1: Yeah, so it's uh, I'll go through it pretty quick. So I graduated from Georgia Tech uh, as an electrical engineer uh, back in the mid 90s. And, you know, I did not want to go into electrical engineering, uh, even though that was my my concentration. My wife likes to joke that I can't change a light bulb to this day, which is not true, but she enjoys telling the joke. And from there, I ended up really taking a look at various companies out of Georgia Tech. And that's when I came across Manhattan Associates. Uh, Back then, uh, it was a $30 million company. Uh, I joined. I was employee number 40. And really, from there, it was an incredible experience because I left 12 years later. We were 2,400 employees, $350 in revenue, and had grown tremendously, both organically and inorganically. And so that really got me into supply chain. And then from there, I had a number of opportunities, as you referenced, at SAP and JDA, which is now Blue Yonder. And then lastly, you know, I I really came through supply chain as a product person, a product manager, um, gathering business requirements, doing implementations, building out software and roadmaps, but then transitioned my career into product marketing, which allowed me to then really understand go to market, which is my passion, uh, which is why I'm really excited to be at Blue Ridge as the the chief marketing officer, because we've got a lot of great opportunity in terms of helping companies um, going forward.
0: So in the introduction, I gave the short version of your resume and and you just sort of went over that. Go back to those late 1990s when you joined Manhattan. Now that was the execution side of the business then. And I don't even think that WMSs were doing much in the way of planning then. How would you describe the state of supply chain software then?
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. Back in the the mid to late 90s, um, there are a couple of things that really stand out. Number one is you had a lot of different companies doing really siloed as aspects of supply chain. And what I mean by that is Manhattan Associates, for example, started in warehouse management, but then grew into other supply chain execution opportunities like transportation, slotting, labor, but then eventually also acquired solutions that got them into supply chain planning. When you take a look at Red Prairie, which was a legacy uh, vendor as well, primarily in the WMS space, a little bit in transportation, but then did the, the merge with JDA software which really came at it more from a supply chain planning aspect. Now you again have an end-to-end solution. So you started to get consolidation as the years went by. So back in the mid to late '90s, a lot of companies, a lot of different solutions, a lot of you know, a lot of um, independent companies doing their thing. The other big thing from a supply chain perspective outside of software is that people didn't talk about supply chain. It was just assumed that it was going to work. Um, outside the likes of a Walmart or a Dell that were putting the supply chain as a focus. Um, supply chain just was thought of as the cost of doing business. There was no chief supply chain officer or chief logistics officer. There was no su- logistics or supply chain person having a seat at the table with the CEO. And now when you take a look at the importance of supply chain within a company, you take a look at the titles, you take a look at where they sit from an executive perspective. A lot has changed over the last 20 plus years, as I date myself now. But, uh, yeah, but yes, um, it, it was very much a different state back in the mid to late 90s.
0: So uh, fast forward, and you did just for a second there, think about the, uh, you know, the software space, the supply chain, you know, broader than just planning, but uh, across both execution and planning, how has the space matured in advance? You know, where are we today?
1: So today, supply chain is, is front of mind. It's on the tip of the tongue. Uh, due to the pandemic, you know, supply chain, as much as it has gained importance in disability and strategy And no longer a cost of doing business, but a competitive differentiator that can be used within the marketplace. Unless you were truly in the industry, whether whether that be the software industry or within industry as a retailer, manufacturer, distributor, yes, you thought about supply chain. But the everyday person, which I could include, you know, be my family. Actually, my family is not a good example because I grew up in supply chain. But you take people that don't really knew about supply chain and they didn't understand how the logistics worked. That was pre-pandemic. Now supply chain is in the news. Now people can't get inventory. Now we've got port closures or, you know, containers sitting out on the ocean for 70 plus days. And now it is strategy and it is an understood topic and it is top of mind, not just for those within the industry, but for everybody. And the pandemic has really brought that to light. And as as for the industry itself, the industry has matured significantly. As I mentioned, you've got some of the big players But again, due to new technology, you've also got some newer players coming in that are very niche oriented. And uh, so these are always exciting times. And I would argue that supply chain is only going to continue to be more strategic or as strategic going forward, um, as opposed to reverting back to what it was, because it is truly seen as an opportunity to differentiate within the marketplace. Uh,
0: I I was chuckling when you talked about, you know, the pandemic bringing supply chain, uh, you know, to the forefront for the for the everyday consumer. I had a call with the VP of supply chain for one of the world's largest contract manufacturers. And she said, if there was a plus side to the pandemic, and she wasn't saying there was a plus side, it was that her mom called her one day and said, now I understand what you do. (laughs) So um,
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. My mom and dad thought I knew what I did for a living, but now they really understand what I do for a living. Um, And I
0: think when the Suez Canal got blocked, her mom called and said, you know, are you okay?" (laughs) That's
1: right. That's That's (laughs) great. great.
0: So let's let's get down into planning, you know, where you live, because as I as I started in the introduction, it seems to me that planning is really under pressure today. And I hear all kinds of things from planners. One is that traditional, they they need new tools. They they don't specifically say what they need, just they know that they need new tools, that whatever they were doing before isn't up to what they think they need to do. When they do get into specific capabilities, the two that I hear a lot about are, um, that I hear them mention, whether they're doing it or not. Um, Scenario planning capabilities, you know, to be able to run a lot of what ifs uh, and then something also uh, that uh, that Jake Barr from uh, I think mean, uh, from Blue Ridge Consulting uh, talks about, which is probabilistic planning. You know, I've come up with a plan, but what's the probability that it's going to what it's going to work? As you talk to either your customers or potential customers, you know what are the challenges that you see facing them today? You know, why aren't the old tools working? And how do you think planning software is changing to meet those new needs? You know, what's new?
1: Yeah, so I, I think that's an interesting one. I mean, there's the there's the joke that runs around, which is, um, you know, what's the one thing that you know about your, your plan and your forecast? And the answer is, you know, that it's going to be wrong because things change. And the question really then becomes, how wrong is it? So one of the big things that we took a look at with our algorithms and our answers, and we've been able to go back and do analysis and insights, is really around precision and being able to minimize the number of exceptions that actually have to occur, or the minim- minimize the number of exceptions that a buyer and a planner have to deal with on a daily basis. Because if you can automate the call, you know, if you can automate your processes, and that create, you know, that takes care of let's say ninety-eight percent of what needs to happen on a day-to-day basis for a buyer and a planner, and then I only have to deal with the two percent of the exceptions. That frees me up to really optimize. And maximize what those exceptions are so that i minimize my my losses or i maximize my sales i maximize my customer um efficiencies my customer expectations um and, and fulfillment needs and so forth so um at the end of the day you know planners are in a really tough spot um there is a lack of inventory throughout the supply chain then we get to a position where it's about having inventory but then it's potentially the wrong inventory Um, reading stories about the mega retailers that have had to shift their focus in terms of what kind of inventory they're carrying in the store, where maybe during the pandemic, people focused a little bit more on luxurious items, were willing to spend a little bit more because they weren't spending in other areas like travel and so forth. Now we've come back to life um, as normal as we can know it at this point. And it's no longer about the luxurious items. It's back to the staples that are needed, especially as we come back to school for many of us Across the United States and and globally for that matter, so procuring the right product at the right time is just a challenge. So then you start taking a look at what's new, what's different, and that's really where I mentioned new technologies such as artificial intelligence, machine learning, which I thought were very much buzzwords. You know, called back in the early two thousands, they've been around forever, and everyone talks about AI, ML. But as we start to then think about precision, think about the answers, start to take a learn, you know, take the learnings of what happens on a day-to-day basis, and then feed that back into the algorithms to create that forecast and that demand plan, which yes, is going to have a level of you know, accuracy issue, but then being able to minimize that, that's really the opportunity that the companies have. So again, whether you're a retailer, whether you're a manufacturer a distributor, uh, you mentioned a few companies that you talked to earlier, you know being able to utilize technology and utilize data And that's the other big thing people don't tend to talk about the type of data and the amount of data that's now being created is more so than ever before. So being able to harness that data, create the insights that allow you to manage the business, again, competitive differentiation, because not everybody has access to those tools. Not everybody has access to that data. And more importantly, not everyone has access to the insights that come out of those tools with that data in order to run their day to day operations. That's really the opportunity that companies have going forward. So a great segue to the
0: next question, because I was going to say, we're hearing a lot about AI, machine learning, and robotic process automation. You know, it seems as if all the software companies I talked to are touting some or all three as part of their functionality. You know, you just talked about uh, at least two of them. So the, the question I think everybody has is, are they real? You know, are they ready for prime time? And what do they bring to the party that we didn't have before? I think you were just touching on that. But can you you expand a little?
1: Absolutely. So I I would still argue that in certain industries, you know, AI and ML has been used well before it ever came to light to the traditional person. Um, And AI and ML, I think, depending upon the industry, uh, is more mature in some states than it is in others. But is it real? The answer is yes, more so today than ever before. And I would tell you that 12, 24, 36, 60 months from now, it'll be even more real because the advancements in technology continue to um, accelerate uh, is is really the best way to put it. So at some point I would argue that it was vaporware, it was a buzzword, uh, and we've been all talking about it for quite some time. But the ability now to include that in our tech stack Um, especially as we came to market, um, like I mentioned, back in 2008, 2009. And as we've continued to evolve our product, take advantage of those newer technologies and have the ability to do so in in very much a SaaS model, which is where obviously a lot of companies are going today. Um, And the reason SaaS is so great is is that it gives us the flexibility to test software, deploy software, not um, encumber the client, the company, in terms of when they can take advantage of certain technologies, it's because we're able to do that within our algorithms and test it out before we actually bring it to market in a very efficient manner and then deploy that in a very rapid fashion uh, for all our customers. So, you know, with all that said, I, I do believe it's more real than ever before. The other thing that you touched on, I believe, was automation. Is that right? Yeah, robotic process automation. Robotic yeah. processing. And, and, you know, the interesting part there is that I still think as much as we talk about software, automation, AIML. It's still about the people. Um, And I mentioned that exception management process earlier. It's great that we have software handle the majority or even up to 90, 98, 99 percent of the day to day activity. But there's always going to be those exceptions and you're not going to be able to automate those exceptions in all fashion. So being able to have the right people incorporate the right processes along with the right technology. I think all those three things have to come together and ebb and flow in some fashion because they all complement one another. So people process technology is going to be hypercritical. The role of people and technology may continue to shift over time, but those three will always have to work together in order to create the, the best and most efficient operation possible.
0: So you were just hitting what I wanted to talk to last. And you know, when I read the the Gartner Top Twenty Five, which I publish every September, they had this term that you know, sounded really interesting, and I really didn't know quite exactly what it meant, which was human-centric digital automation. And I had a chance to talk to Mike Griswold, um, who oversees the team that puts together the Gartner Top 25 uh, last week. And I said to him, so, you know, what the heck is that? And, and the way Mike explained it is to say that pre-COVID, you know, if you went to the Gartner Conference pre-COVID, um, a lot of the focus was on automation. How can we automate? And and automation from the traditional point of view, meaning you know, how many people am I going to replace? You know, what what is what is? We always we always couch it and say it frees up people to do more productive things. But you know, often that most productive thing was work for somebody else. So you know, one of the things that Mike said was that um, certainly the pandemic has. Put the spotlight back on people. Um, supply chains are still managed by people and not enough people. So he was saying that human centric digital automation is yes, we need to automate, but we need to automate in a way that augments the people that we have and makes the most of the people we have. I think you were just talking about that. Think of planning. You know, one, because uh, people have talked about, you know, we can just automate the planning process. Can we automate the planning process? And if not, you know, how do we augment it? What does the software do for the people who do the planning?
1: Yeah, so I I take the stance that supply chain is both an art and a science. There are many things, Bob, that that companies can do in terms of automation, uh, using insights, historical forecasts historical demand plans, uh, and really get a good feel and understanding of what the business is going to be in the future. And that becomes the basis for a forecast and demand plan going forward. But as we know, especially in today's volatile environment globally, what is expected is not always what happens. And the ability not only to procure inventory, but then put inventory into the appropriate, you know, store or distribution center within the global supply network is also ever changing um, because of transportation plans, because of ports, because of congestion, because of worker shortage and driver availability is even an example. So there's an art, excuse me, there's a science in terms of what we do, the recommendations that we make, the buying plans that we put forth, the replenishment plans that we put forth, but there's also an art and that's where the people aspect comes in. And I think Mike's spot on because prior to the pandemic, there was a lot of talk about automation, reduction of staff, and we know specifically in the supply chain world and more so even let's say in warehouses, um, there's a worker shortage because as the generation you know currently ages out, the millennials and so forth, they're not necessarily looking to come in. So you have to then think about automation and processes and how do you work with the, the labor that you do have. So going forward, it is about having the right people in the right place and then supporting them with the appropriate technologies. Um, I truly believe that is the case, right? There's a lot that can be done with the science and the technology. And then there's the art of managing the global supply chain, especially um, as things change, as exceptions occur, as um, yeah, volatility happens and has to become the expectation of what will happen as opposed to the exception of what used to be. Um, So, yeah, an art and a science is is absolutely key uh, in terms of how you manage your supply chain, your processes, and most importantly, how you engage with your, you know, your customers and your suppliers.
0: Uh, Hey, Prashant, I thought of one other question, Um, particularly when you were talking about, you know, historical data and so on. um, One of the things planners have said to me is that, you know, going into the pandemic or coming out of the pandemic, for instance, there was no real historical references As one uh, key supply chain officer said to me, you know, other than the Spanish flu and, you know, nobody here was around then. That's right. And and so and then, of course, we've had all this volatility that's unprecedented. So, you know, you, you know what happens if a hurricane hits, but you don't know what happens if a hurricane hits at the same time there's a factory fire and a ship gets stuck, you know, in the Suez Canal. And a lot of planners have said that they're turning to new sources, you know, unstructured data, like one consumer products company said to me that they, you know, took a subscription to Nielsen data, you know, trying to bring in data that they would not otherwise have used. Are are planning software, how does it, um, in in today's world, how does it account for that unstructured data that, that companies are now trying to turn to? Or is that part of the art?
1: Well, it's definitely part of the art, but it's also part of the science as it relates to the integration of those companies that that house that unstructured like data, okay. um, whether it be consumer data, whether it be weather data, whether it be, you know, whatever it, whatever it is, the science aspect still has to be, how do I get that data in to my supply chain planning systems in order to then put the science behind it? Um, you're spot on in your assessment in the sense that there's no historical Time frame that we can look at recently as to what just happened from, you know, March of 20 up to now um, we've had to learn as we go. And that's again, going back to the importance of some of the, the new technologies around machine learning, because being able to take those insights and then reapply those insights, knowing that it continues to evolve, not, not change, but truly evolve. Um, that's the opportunity, you know, that that's the importance behind us. So yeah. Planners have been in a very tough spot along with, with many, Uh, But in this particular instance, taking that unstructured data and being able to apply that, um, being able to do supplier risk management. That's, for example, I've been talking to a a partner company that does supplier risk management, which is a big thing in this day and age for the very reason that you just referenced. There's a fire in a factory. Containers get stuck in the Suez Canal. So, okay, if I have supplier risk and I need to rank that supplier in terms of how risky are they, and then I want to determine where I want to source my inventory, and as I go through my supply chain plans and I determine my procurement, if I can look at supply chain risk and assurances, I might actually purchase from supplier A over supplier B. That's that unstructured data, bringing it in with the structured data, and that's where art and science come together.
0: Great. Thank you. Uh, that's all the time we have today. A special thanks to Prashant Batia for joining me today. And Prashant, it was great seeing you at Gartner. So again, thanks for being a guest. Uh, and thank you, the audience, for listening. I hope you'll be back for our next episode for Supply Chain Management Review. I'm Bob Troublecock. And again, Prashant, thanks for joining
1: us. Hey, thanks for having me. Very much enjoyed it.
0: Talking Supply Chain is produced by Supply Chain Management Review and Peerless Media. You can find it on scmr.com, on iTunes, or under SC247, or just Google SC247 podcasts. For more information, be sure to visit scmr.com. We hope you'll join us again.